0: Our great privilege today to welcome Senator Ron Johnson, the senator from Wisconsin, who has been uh, on the COVID controversies uh, from the outset. Uh, he's got some very interesting insight because he was there in questioning things. And uh, as many of us were, there was a lot of head shaking going on, as those of you who listen to these threads on a regular basis are well aware. And we're going to sort of talk about his experience pushing back and trying to understand what the, what happened to us uh, again. Dr. Ron, excuse me, Senator Ron Johnson is from Wisconsin. He was chairman of the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee from 2015 to 2021, uh, 2021 and now ranking member for the permanent subcommittee on investigations. Speaking of investigations, we will do just that after this. Welcome, everybody. Uh, just a review of the schedule a bit going forward. Naomi Wolf tomorrow. Uh, I think that is at our usual time at 3 o'clock. And uh, you will watch me fall on my sword before um, Dr. Wolf. And uh, I, I cannot, uh, I have to humble myself because I was very dismissive of some of the things she said last time that are of great concern to me now. And that is uh, on me, not on her, obviously. And then on Friday, we will be speaking to somebody from Great Britain who's been working very hard. That will be at 11 a.m., on some of the issues pertinent to children. Pacific. Lebanon Pacific, I beg your pardon. And keep in mind, Dave Rubin on February 13th, Monday, early noon, and then Jessica Rose at our usual time on February 15th, and Brooke Jackson on February 22nd.
1: Duncan Trussell on Tuesday, Valentine's Dun- Day.
0: Susan his book, Duncan Trussell <laughs> your on Valentine's lover. Day. We are gonna be uh, at a undisclosed location, and I'm not quite sure how that's all gonna work out, but we're looking very forward to that, of course.
1: <laughs> afraid to advertise it.
0: Well, I mean, okay, I can tell you we will be at the your mom's house studios, but I don't know. Exa- Susan has predicted we'll be in a different room than we're planning to be in. <laughs> so we'll see how that plays out. So at <laughs> well, this point, we'll indeterminate.
1: Have an Ethernet cord.
0: Exactly. So uh, I'm looking so forward to today's conversation. So let's get right to it. Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. Senator Johnson, welcome to the program.
2: Oh, Dr. Drew, thanks for having me on.
0: It's really our privilege. And, and before the mics heated up, you were starting to tell me about. What was happening when physicians, highly trained, top of their career, highly respected, people funded by the NIH and the NIMH and the uh, CDC, uh, you know, very much involved with research and academia, suddenly were being silenced. That's where you raised your hand and said, why are we doing this?
2: Well, as chairman of the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs, uh, I started holding roundtables right off the bat. And I had Scott Gottlieb come in in early February. And uh, one of the things we learned from that roundtable is uh, we don't make drugs in this country, uh, not the key ingredients, the precursor chemicals, the active pharmaceutical ingredients. So th- that was my first takeaway. But then I'm, you know, so I would say I'm watching this very carefully, highly, highly concerned, not knowing what's pulling off. We all were very concerned. But then we started seeing videos popping up, uh, doctors coming off of 12, 14, 16 hour shifts. Uh, speaking in the camera doing their own little webcams and j- just describing that this is not what we normally see in terms of uh, pneumonias there, there's something else going on here and you know l- looked at that with uh, a great deal of curiosity but then I was even more curious about why those doctors were being censored uh, they're being pulled on off YouTube I, there were a couple of doctors uh, out of uh, California, that were treating uh, patients in the clinic and, and making claims, that, you know, I think a lot more people have had COVID than what we're uh, really talking about. So, okay, well, that's interesting. And you know, my perspective was: you go back to the 1918 flu pandemic. Uh, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the capability of doctors being able to utilize this marvelous technology and you know share their experiences and you know their their theory of the case and and practice medicine. You know. My, my daughter was uh, originally born with transfers of the great arteries, uh, so uh, you know I went through that. And during her surgery, uh, I really came to understand what that term, the practice of medicine, meant. It, it wasn't a physical building; it literally was practicing, and that's what we should have been doing during the early stages of the pandemic. We should, we should have practiced medicine. We should have had doctors utilize their skill their their knowledge their brain power and share the experience but that wasn't allowed and that's where my little spidey senses went up and said something is really wrong here what's going on
0: yeah that was precisely where the rubber hit the road for me as well i i just have never seen anything like that at first i thought all my peers have frozen in place normally you, use, you, you go to a physician, as you say, because of their practice, but the practice is fundamentally the application of judgment, not knowledge, not evidence-based. That's all a foregone uh, assumption. But based on evidence and knowledge, our application of judgment for this given individual in this particular situation. Patients were being sent home and told to come back when they're dying. I, I it was the most unbelievable instructions I've ever heard in my life. And doctors were frozen in place, afraid to try things to help patients. To me, that was an alarming reality. It made me brought to my attention, something I did not know at the time, which that majority of physicians are employees. And as employees, they were fearful of losing their job and were getting instructions from on high and were afraid to do anything. So that was my first insight, but I'm wondering what was happening at your end of the, of the operation, so to speak at that point, here you are, you're a Senator, you're questioning things. Did your peers try to silence you or mistreat you in any way?
2: No, they you know, pretty well ignored me. Um, but you know, I, th- I think the, the next piece of the puzzle for me was when President Trump, uh, well, first of all, before that, there was a, I think a state senator in Michigan who was treated with hydroxychloroquine. I know you probably got to put up your, your warning sign, but you know, uh, yeah, and we do. It, it seemed promising, right? And President Trump mentioned mm-hmm. it. And so from my standpoint, isn't it true with just about, every, I think every disease, isn't the general approach is early treatment? first of all, early diagnosis
0: early treatment and and re- early diagnosis early treatment and then re-application you know novel applications of, of already approved substances and my understanding was we've discovered through talking to people that were in the government making decisions at the time on the health side that they had something like 85,000 doses ready to go they'd actually pooled it together and were ready to help distribute this stuff to try to do something to try to help doctors do something at very minimum they would have at least seen their patients again you know what I mean they would have at least not seen them right. when they were blue. They would have seen them and followed them and helped them. Maybe they would have tried steroids well, or all these other things we were learning about at the time.
2: Well, first of all, there was a very legitimate fear on the part of healthcare providers, and God bless them. I mean, that's why we were celebrating all the nurses and doctors that had the courage and compassion to treat patients. Not all of them did. But anyway, going going back to you know, so I, I heard the possibility of early treatment. I never heard of it. took me a w- couple of weeks just to learn how to pronounce hydroxychloroquine. Um, right. And so what we'd actually done is Novartis had donated something like 30 million doses into the national stockpile. And so there was a, a log jam there, they weren't being distributed. And so from my standpoint, early treatment made all the sense in the world. And I, I've always been completely agnostic. I don't care if it's hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, budesonide, I mean, it probably not even pronounces those things correctly, but there literally was a, a large, there was a n- number of drugs that could have been used for early treatment off-label as well as on-label. And so early on, we were mainly talking about hydroxychloroquine and it wasn't being distributed. And so I I literally had uh, uh, the CEO of Novartis, uh, I was texting him back and forth that they were kind of excited about it. Uh, They were telling me they had something like a dozen trials. And my conversations with him went on from, I think about mid-March to about mid-April, and then they just ceased just went radio silence. And I'm going, well, hmm. what's going on here? Uh, so we originally had what I would call the, uh, the log jam in the distribution channel, but then we end up with the, what I would call the prescription log jam. Uh, Rick Bright, who was, who was working at BARDA, was asked to uh, do an invest- investigational drug protocol through the NIH to make hydroxychloroquine available to doctors. He didn't want to, and so he went to a buddy at the FDA and said, Here, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna issue an emergency use authorization. Sounds good, right? But they, they made it mm. so restrictive, they restricted it to in hospitals for trials, which basically yeah, yeah. made it unavailable to the wider medical community. And so he knew exactly yeah, what he was doing. So Sabotage the yeah. use of hydroxychloroquine and again, it didn't make any sense to me. I mean, I, I'm a senator. When we go on trips, I know colleagues have gone to Africa. They just get prescribed hydroxychloroquine. They don't do any EKGs or anything on it. So it's, it's, it's widely available. I know people on, with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis that had hydroxychloroquine. All of a sudden, this is some dangerous drug. It, mm-hmm. Listen, okay. every drug can have some well, problems, but this was a pretty widely so so, prescribed so drug. Happened? Just, what, 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 what happened to us? No, there,
0: it, it, people flew into hysterics about a, a drug that they just learned how to pronounce the name of that I've been using for 40 years, but what, what was happening there? Can we kind of put our finger on what, what was that? It was the, mo- the most, was it just an, a colossal mass hysteria? Was it a media induced intentional distortion driven from the FDA so they could protect the EUA for an upcoming vaccine? What What was going on? Do you think?
2: that's my assumption my assumption there was a, an agenda being driven here and you know we've got more and more evidence of you know prior to the pandemic these exercises being conducted the people wanting a a universal vaccination program and so at some point in time the, the fauches of the world decided no we're going to we're going to end this pandemic with a vaccine and of course if you have an effective treatment it's gonna make it very difficult to get an emergency use authorization on an untested vaccine, because those things normally would take years in development and trials to, to get uh, an approval. And again, if, if you have an effective treatment, you're not gonna get an emergency use authorization. So I, I, my guess is, my assumption is the word, word went out, and let's face it, Fauci has a lot of power. Uh, he, he is in control of all these grants. And so nobody wanted to buck him, and so all of a sudden it was just decided on vaccine, and no early treatment was going to be considered,
0: and none was. Well, let, well e- even and, though I was holding
2: it, a, on it and th- things looked promising, yeah. people weren't considering it.
0: As it pertains to that, again, this is still a little mysterious to me. I, I get the evangelism on the part of Burks for her lockdowns and and Fauci for his vaccine. But it was such a miscarriage of the basic basic responsibilities of public health. They, they could have been educating people. In fact, I've noticed now their sort of messaging and commercials and things are starting to get more sort of educational about how to treat COVID, how to survive COVID. I don't know if you have COVID. I mean, there was nasal sprays that could reduce the risk. There was monoclonal antibodies became available. They, at no point did they say, hey, everybody, stop panicking. In fact, quite the opposite. They said panic as though this were a nuclear holocaust which is what we reserve the term shelter in place for pretend this is a nuclear holocaust you should be just as scared as opposed to hey let us in public health tell you how to deal with this illness effectively as it comes along that to me was just mind-boggling do you have any insight into why that happened
2: well again in the political realm if you can create a state of fear you can control people uh I I held my first official hearing in May, and one of the individuals I invited was John Ioannidis because he had done the analysis of the Princess Cruise, And pretty much the data from that little micro-study has held true through the entire uh, pandemic. So I -hmm. I had him along with Scott Atlas. Uh, This is the first time I I had Pierre Corey testify before us as well. But I really wanted John Ioannidis there because I, I wanted to point out I want to put things in perspective. This wasn't Ebola, about a 40% right. death rate. It wasn't MERS at about 30%. Right. It wasn't SARS at about eight right. to 10%. This was going to be something right. like maybe a bad flu season, maybe double bad flu season, a dangerous disease, something to take seriously, but nothing to panic over. Uh, certainly, even in the, the Princess Cruise, we realized that the vulnerable, people, vulnerable population was the elderly. Maybe I'm I'm not sure we really had information on their comorbidities at that point in time, but this is a disease to take seriously if you're elderly. But otherwise, if you're young, take precautions, don't spread it to the elderly, but uh, you you probably had a pretty good chance of surviving that. That We should have been calming the population down. Instead, we were freaking them out.
0: A, a thousand percent. So, I'm going to bring Kelly Victory in here in just a second, and and we have lots more to kind of scroll through in terms of the evolution of of um, of your experience through all this. But I, let me jump a little bit ahead of that, and I know Kelly will ask these same questions when she gets in here. But what do we do now? there have been this terrible, terrible miscarriage and overreach and uh, com- stomping, you know, complete disregard for uh, personal liberties. Is there, a, is there a road ahead? Is there a solution? And, and people don't trust science or doctors or public health anymore. As, well, they shouldn't, I suspect. Uh, do you have a road out?
2: Well, you know, I come from a manufacturing background, so you're solving problems all the time. There's, there's a problem-solving process. And the first step in solving any problem is admitting you have one and then properly diagnosing it. So in this case, you know, we, we do need to do, to use a medical term, a mortem on this. We, we need to analyze yeah. what yeah. went wrong. We need to expose the truth, you know, uncover it and then expose the truth. And let's face it, mm-hmm. the, the federal health agencies are not being honest. They're not being transparent. Uh, one of the big, biggest impediments we have is nobody wants to admit they're wrong. Now, I, I would argue the body count is way too high from the mismanagement, mismanagement of this. They can't afford to be yep. proven wrong. And Dr. Drew, our big, our big problem is, you know, we're up against the COVID cartel. Uh, the administration, the federal health agencies, big pharma, most people in the mainstream media, the big tech, uh, big you know, media social giants uh, or social media giants, they have the power to make it very difficult to be proven wrong. So the first mm-hmm. step is we need to expose and uncover the truth. And then we need to move forward.
0: I, you know, I, I've been telling people before we go—we'll go to break in just a second—but that this this thing, the COVID situation, followed line and verse with the opioid epidemic. It also followed along the some of the psychosurgery excesses. and whenever there's an excess in medicine, whenever these excesses that that physicians perpetrate and then drug companies blow into the sales of those excesses, opioid pandemic being the prime example you always find a small cohort of evangelical physicians who believe they're off to save the world and they have a religious fervor rather than a scientific certainty. And it's untoward harm, un- incredible amounts of harm can get, uh, can get underway with those folks, particularly when they get control of regulatory agencies that oversee the behavior of other physicians who become frayed, paralyzed, and unable to assert any objection uh, again the opioid pandemic i fought that for a decade and a half and uh, i know exactly how they how they do this i, I just was i lived it but, uh, Ron, doctor, Senator, I want to call you a doctor. That's a, that's a sign of respect, sir. I'm so used to doing that for my uh, physician uh, peers that I, I look up to and respect. Senator Ron Johnson is here. We're going to take a little break so I can get Dr. Kelly Victory in here. Uh, she and, uh, doc, and Senator Johnson have been talking, and we're going to hear what they've been speaking about and continue to scroll through some of this history to try to make sense of what we've just been through. Again, we'll be right back. Not sure how to say I love you this Valentine's Day? Well, nothing says I love you more than a few minutes of relaxation, and Genucel Skincare does just that. Gives you the luxury gift of feeling like you spent the entire day in the spa, all while, in fact, in the comfort of your own home. Susan loves to feel pampered and special, especially on Valentine's Day, so why not relax with a detoxifying mask and feel amazing after only one use?
1: I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. Retinols, vitamin C cream, under eye cream, night creams. Scrubs. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at GenuCell.com. I've fallen in love with this product at a fraction of the price. I've been using GenuCell for six months now, and I'm very impressed.
0: GenuCell's mask works wonders by pulling out all of your imperfections to make you feel refreshed and looking like you just stepped out of a facial appointment. Order the Dr. Drew package today and try this amazing mask for free. That's right. Every single Dr. Drew and Susan package includes a free mask to celebrate you and your loved one on this Valentine's Day. Go to GenuCell.com Drew and enter code Drew for an extra 10% off your entire purchase. Plus, all orders are upgraded to priority shipping for free. That's GenuCell.com drew g-e-n-u-c-e-l dot com slash d-r-e-w despite the u.s blowing through the 31.4 trillion dollar debt ceiling this january the white house and the government still refuses to reduce spending when it comes to fiscal responsibility you can't afford to bury your head in the sand now would be a great time to consider gold with birch gold in times of high uncertainty and instability gold is king Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Visit birchgold.com to claim your free information kit, the info kit on gold, and then talk to one of their precious metals specialists. Think about this. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer in the country would have to write a check for $247,000 and of course they're not, so it's only getting worse. Protect yourself with gold today by visiting BirchGold.com/drew. That is B-I-R-C-H Gold.com/drew. With an A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five star reviews, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your future. Here's what I want you to do: visit BirchGold.com/drew today. some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics this episode ends here the rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv
3: there's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk benefit calculation it is the mandate of public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population this is uncharted territory drew
0: it is uncharted territory, and yet we uh, here we are. Dr. Kelly, victory. I give you Senator Ron Johnson.
3: Thank you, Senator. Thanks so much for being here. I truly appreciate your time, uh, particularly after the uh, riveting State of the Union address last night. I'm sure you've got lots of things going on in uh, in the Capitol today. Um, I want to go back, step back a little bit from where. Uh, Drew was was going with this in terms of the the why and how do we move out of it and use, uh, for the benefit of, of our viewers, sort of a loose timeline of events of how things came under your radar and the different things that you were doing to try to uh, not just address them, demand answers. Whether or not you got them is another question, but you certainly, more than anyone I know in Washington, and I mean this sincerely, we were absolutely a warrior with regard to saying, wait a minute, we need answers. So you and Drew started the conversation, and I agree where it started. It appears for you in February of 2020, within weeks of hearing about this this novel virus and this uh, burgeoning pandemic, was with regard to therapeutics. Um, you clearly were aware that there were physicians who were using some novel therapeutics, but you also were aware, as you said and touched on briefly, this critical issue of our vast over-reliance on China for pharmaceuticals. So speak, if you would, just at least briefly about that issue. It's worthy of its own show in and of itself, but the issue of our reliance on China.
2: Thanks. My first concern when I heard that there may be a drug like hydroxychloroquine that could work is, will we have enough? That's why I contacted the CEO of Novartis, and he started realizing how many billions of doses that are administered a year, and you know where they're all produced, and and you know how we could obtain them. And obviously, uh, I was concerned that we would not have enough of them. I really thought the the biggest problem was going to be how do you allocate them properly? You know how do you ration them? Uh, So that, that was my biggest concern. Not not necessarily. Uh, that was going to become controversial, but would we have enough of any medicine if we, uh, you know, actually found some therapeutics? And again, from my standpoint, that was the thing we should have fully concentrated on was therapeutics. Instead uh, the, the, the people in charge, the Fauci's, the Burks of the world, they're all about stopping the spread, which, you know, listen, it made sense, but it wasn't going to happen. And, And we were not able to do that. Uh, but because they were completely focused on stopping the spread, they primarily focused on the test. And of course, CDC kind of screwed that one up to begin with. But then Congress, you know, their solution to every problem is spending money. Well, here was something they could spend money on. They could spend money on the development of the tests and the production of the tests and the distribution of the tests. And so that became the focus initially uh, for the first, you know six or seven or eight months until the vaccine became available was funding and distributing tests. Even though the, the horse was out of the barn, it was pretty obvious that we, we were not gonna be able to stop the spread. Uh, you know, the, the whole charade about masks is absurd, but it just shows you what, what they, how misdirected the approach and the response to COVID was.
3: So my question to you is, I believe it was in August, of 2020, we'd gotten through the the spring into the summer and people were, some of us were looking very actively and using very actively some of these therapeutics, things like hydroxychloroquine uh, and steroids at that point. You and I believe it was Senator Mike Lee and Ted Cruz uh, wrote at least one letter to the FDA demanding to know the state of the investigation about early therapeutics. What were they looking at? Where was the data? What kind of response did you get from the powers that be at the FDA? I never
2: got a response until really the end of December after I held a couple of hearings on early treatment. You know, the, the first hearing I had where we talked about early treatment was with the Pierre Corey in May of 2020 when he came on and talked about his work with Paul Merrick on corticosteroids. Mm-hmm. Now, he was vilified for, I think, about eight weeks before the study came on on dexamethasone out of the U.K then all of a sudden these corticosteroids was okay. But when Pierre Cory testified before me in May, it just, it, again, it wasn't blessed by Fauci, so uh, we weren't gonna use it. The only thing I, at that point in time is remdesivir, right? You know, right. With, without any kind of valid trial that showed any kind of success, uh, remdesivir actually was recommended against by the, the WHO because of the, the miserable failure it had with Ebola trials. But all of a sudden that became the standard of care, still scratched my head on that one, not really because there were so many conflicts of interest with Gilead within the panel that recommended it. But anyway, so remdesivir was fine. That became the standard of care. And you're the doctor, you can talk about the problems that uh, that I think exists with remdesivir. But all other options were, were basically being panned and they weren't being looked at. So when I finally had a conversation with Francis Collins, uh, it, it was probably one of the most uh, head knocking conversations I've had with a, a federal, uh, official uh as a united states senator it was just frustrating he, he he you know i was saying what are you doing what what kind of investigation he said well senator i mean we are we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars uh through our active six program investigating all kinds of generic drugs and i said okay send me the data i want to see what you're spending the money on what you've investigated to this day i've not even get, gotten a page of data in terms of what uh, the CDC, NIH, FDA were investigating in terms of uh, uh, the use of generic drugs, because I don't think they were investigating them at all. The the only thing that's been recommended during COVID by the CDC or the the federal health agencies are new, expensive, uh, patentable drugs. Uh, Generic drugs need not apply. And I've come to learn that's basically the approach of our federal health agencies who have been captured by big pharma.
3: So exactly right. So in in the the spring and summer of 2020, you are advocating for early treatment. You're asking for the data on the investigation on these readily available, inexpensive, FDA-approved, dirt-cheap drugs, things like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, budesonide, that are pennies a pill, are available over the counter in almost every country other than the United States. Yet instead, they will only give any credence to remdesivir at $3,000 a dose and other new drugs that are still on patent and on brand uh, and therefore can make somebody a lot of money. So you're writing letter after letter demanding these things, getting no answers. So we've got that bucket of, of questions that are going on. Next thing that from what I can tell that came on your radar was to really highlight what I call the intrusion of third parties into the decision-making. And those third parties included mm. not just big pharma and big tech, but things like the teachers' unions, how the teachers' unions were, were really leading the discussion and leading decisions with regard to school closures, lockdowns, and those sorts of things. So talk about how you then transition. you didn't get answers to, you didn't have resolution to the early treatment thing, the next thing on your radar uh, in your focus was the intrusion of these third parties.
2: Well, again, the the mask mandates made no sense to me. I mean, we heard Fauci early on say, well, masks aren't going to work. You just hear immediately that the virus is a lot smaller than the, you know, goes right through the the masks. Uh, The the pores are, are much larger. So why are we pushing masks? And then you find out that the CDC issues guidelines basically given to it by the Teachers Union. And you go, well, this, can't, this isn't right. Uh, that's not science. And so you start writing letters to the CDC and of course they don't respond to you on that as well. So you start certainly understanding that the entire uh, response to COVID is driven by agendas and by political considerations. It's not based on science as much as Anthony Fauci said he was science. It was not based on science. And, and again, you just get more and more suspicious uh, when you realize that people are dying, that they didn't have to die, uh, when you see doctors being vilified, when you see them being censored, uh, when, when people are being made an example of so that other people toe the line uh, and just follow exactly what Fauci and the Berkses of the world t- tell them to do. It was a travesty.
3: Well, I can tell you, I, for one, and Drew knows this well, I was absolutely vilified. I was kicked off social media very early on in this debacle. I have uh, defended myself against seven formal complaints against my medical license over these past three years. It's debilitating and exhausting. Uh, They get away with it. Uh, And the idea that you as a sitting senator cannot write a letter requesting something from one of our federal agencies and expect a response. Um, the fact that they essentially dismissed you or ignored you uh, when you were asking that's very legitimate questions. It's insanity. I mean, how yeah. how, how is that it's even insanity. allowed to happen? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you yeah, that's what in center.
2: Unfortunately, administration after administration, uh, the people serving in government realize that Congress doesn't really have much authority when it comes to oversight. They, they all come before our committees during the confirmation process. They raise their hand, they vow to, comply with the congressional oversight requests and then they don't. And about all we can do is uh, hold them in contempt. That's not the easiest thing to get through any chamber. And then once they're held in contempt, you would need a Department of Justice to prosecute them. But as long as the uh, Department of Justice is, is in control, of the you know, and it is controlled by the administration making the decisions, they're not going to uh, hold anybody accountable. So, you know, Congress has become pretty toothless when it comes to its oversight responsibility. And that that needs to be fixed
3: you know, and yeah, this so is, can I that a be tangential. fixed I, I,
0: I'm wondering i'm I, but, but I'm wondering for instance, something as specific as before a public health authority can take away civil liberties of massive numbers of people, they have to come before elected officials or a committee or something. isn't that a simple fix? Is that going to be impossible to get something like that through
2: well, let's hope not It's 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 one of the things again we have to. Diagnose, find out exactly what happened here, uh, tell the truth yeah. about it, so that we can actually move to a real solution. But you know, from my standpoint, part of the problem here is the doctors should be at the very top of the treatment pyramid, and they have the ultimate responsibility, the Hippocratic Oath to the patient. But right now, doctors are being crushed at the bottom. You know, all the bureaucrats, the big farmers just crushing them at the very bottom of that uh, treatment pyramid Mm -hmm. they're they're practicing protocols which makes an awful lot of sense in most cases but every human being is different Uh, Uh, doctors have to have the ultimate responsibility but right now they don't
3: Is there any, you know, Congress is, you know, controls the purse strings. Is there, are there financial levers that can be applied to groups like the CDC and the FDA to make them responsive to your very legitimate requests for information?
2: Well, unfortunately, the appropriation process is completely broken. You you just witnessed that at the end of this year. We're we're three months into the fiscal year. We haven't brought up one appropriation bill, which would be the point in time where you could maybe uh, use the, the, the purse to, uh, uh, discipline the administration, but instead we pass a massive, you know, multiple multiple thousand page omnibus bill. Nobody has time to read it. They don't know what's in it, other than the people who've actually written it behind closed doors. So, you now the dis- dysfunction here in Washington D.C. is profound. And so, all all these levers that levers that should be uh, available to us to uh, exert the the people's control over the process, it's just not available. We've we've just over the, the, the decades, granted so much authority, the executive and, and presidents and the bureaucrats are happy to take that authority.
3: So mm. here you are, you're, you're in Washington, and you've, you have already, as a non-physician, were, were clearly aware of the failure um, on the early treatment side and the fact that uh, available treatments were being suppressed you very quickly were bringing attention to the fact that there was intrusion of third parties into the decision making on public health matters that should never have been involved in this, including uh, groups like the teachers unions who wielded far too much uh, pressure. Then the next thing that I was aware that you were involved in writing letters and asking the tough questions was relates to the origin of covid, uh, which is hand in glove with the entire issue of gain of function research Um, as I've talked about on this uh, this and many other programs, there are very few things that I really agreed with President Obama about. uh, But the moratorium that was placed in 2014 on gain and function research is one thing that I absolutely supported because it is very, very dangerous and it is fraught with potential disaster. Um, Talk if you would about that issue where how you became alerted to uh, the issue about gain of function and to potential questions about the origin of the virus and where you took that.
2: Well, because of my advocacy for early treatment, I I did get connected to a global network of eminently qualified doctors and medical researchers uh, by by the summer of 2020. And so within that group, there were computational biologists and and other just experts that, Took a look at the coronavirus and said there's no way this thing sprung from nature. Uh, whether it's the furon cleavage site, uh, you know, now now you've got this uh, you know, super antigen section here that is very close to a bioweapon and, and part of the spike protein as well. So these are these people were talking about this very early on. Plus, uh, I was also talking to individuals that really did understand uh, what this vaccine was going to be like. The they were beside themselves. They couldn't even believe what was being proposed here to have the have a a, a gene therapy produced that would actually have the body produce its own toxin. Uh, they, they just couldn't believe it. So I, I was kind of put on. I, I was already uh, given the warning to be a little concerned about this and, and exercise caution in terms of pushing this on everybody. So again, I, I was fortunate enough to be. Talking to just incredibly knowledgeable people with a completely different uh, opinion on on the vaccine and also our approach to uh, uh, how to handle the pandemic, but also when it came to you know what the origin of this thing was, they completely dismissed the natural origin. Uh, they said this had to be man-made. So that that again that that raised my suspicions of, of why that was such a uh, conspiracy theory when it seemed to be to be the, the most logical explanation for this thing. <sighs>
3: Well I definitely want to spend quite a bit of time talking about the vaccines and where we're going with with uh those and the mounting evidence of of ill effects from them but before I let go of this gain of function issue I think it's really important um you both you and uh Rand Paul uh hammered uh Anthony Fauci on this issue and really I think from my perspective this this meets every definition of gain of function research and I believe that Anthony Fauci perjured himself um, not once, not twice, but multiple times with regard to his involvement in this and the fact that U.S. taxpayer dollars were used to fund this research, uh, whether they were shuttled through EcoHealth Alliance or not, it's U.S. taxpayer dollars were used for this. Where is that investigation going? Where can we expect to see Will there ever be accountability for this?
2: Well, I hope so. You know, the, the problem is the initial investigation was uh, mishandled so so badly. Uh, I, you know, and the Chinese destroyed all kinds of ev- evidence. I'm not sure you're ever going to have the smoking gun piece of evidence here, but I, I don't think you need it. Uh, it's pretty obvious that uh, we were funding, whether you define it as gain of function or not, dangerous research that needs to be tightly controlled. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to to recognize that. Uh, when you start sharing that kind of dangerous research with anybody in China, you're sharing it with the, the you know, the, the Chinese military, and we shouldn't be doing that. If you're if you're going to do this, and, and there could be some rationale for conducting this research, uh, in, in the age of uh, the CRISPR technology, when when people can piece you know splice together uh, genes and, and create these types of things, you ought to be prepared for. Uh, what happens if somebody uses a bioweapon? So again, I, I don't fault mm-hmm. our defense department for doing research. What I fault the people for is not tightly controlling it. And so we, we we need to understand exactly what happened. We need to tightly control any any type of this research whatsoever. We shouldn't be shopping this out to universities and then shop it out to some of their colleagues all over the seas. This, this, you know, this needs to be tightly controlled.
3: And do you think- I have a question, Kelly, investigations... if I can interrupt. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: it's a, you know, the China keeps coming up the China's role in this pandemic, you know, continues to loom large, whether whether it is how they hoodwinked our scientists to believe in their lockdown procedures as some sort of scientific measure that had absolute certainty of of effectiveness or how they obfuscated around the uh, origin of the virus so much of this revolves around China and yet it rarely gets into the conversation except at the periphery is is the govern the are you guys bringing it into the center or is it so dangerous and volatile to put them there that people are afraid to do so
2: no i don't think so i think we just don't have the the absolute hard evidence i mean my assumption is yeah, you know, based on what I've read, it's, it's pretty obvious that this thing probably was created in the Wuhan lab. Yeah, you know, whether it was, I don't think it was, I doubt it was purposely released. I think it was probably accidentally released. I think China knew about that far earlier than they've ever admitted. Sure. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. where the real culpability lies and where I think it's pretty provable is the fact they shut down flights out of Wuhan into China but they allowed those flights to go on for probably months into the rest of the world so that they realized they had a problem that they had probably created a problem and they wanted to make darn good sure that they weren't the only ones experiencing the problem they, they wanted to make sure that every other economy in the world would be hit as hard as they were as well so i, I think that's from my standpoint pretty obvious but well thus, uh, I don't thus have the, the lockdown
0: on too i mean to convince people to lock down is part of that same kind of phenomenology it seems to me and it was that was the most bizarre thing of all the 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 thus saith the lord when it comes to chinese uh, the, the with the chinese policy of lockdown that was the wildest thing kelly you and i talked about that way back and it's just extraordinary
3: right well I and mean, there's, there's a, a reason we're we... in a
2: global competition that they want to win and one way that you win a competition is you kneecap your competitor And they knew they were going to be kneecapped Mm -hmm. with this uh, uh, pandemic. They wanted to make sure everybody else was as well. Yeah.
3: Do you think there will be any ult- uh, any uh, accountability at, at least in the United States with regard to the people? Clearly, there are people uh, who who knew about this research that was being done, and, and certainly Anthony Fauci is one of them, but he's certainly not the only one. Um, you know, uh, Ralph Barak, at you know my alma mater UNC Chapel Hill, and and Peter uh, Dazak from uh, EcoHealth Alliance. There are lots of people whose fingerprints are on this. The question is. Where will Congress? Do you see Congress having the the teeth to to do anything about it, or is this simply are we just moving beyond, moving past? I
2: think eventually we'll get enough of the truth out where it's going to be pretty obvious exactly what happened here. Uh, through FOIA requests, we have Anthony Fauci's emails now. FOIA, those emails can be heavily redacted. I was grateful that the chairman of the permanent subcommittee, John Ossoff, cooperated with me. So we requested those emails in an unredacted form. Now, the agencies didn't really cooperate with us. What they allowed us to do is, we, we identified 400 of the 4,000 pages we wanted to look at. And so the agency, HHS, allowed us to review 50 pages at a time in a reading room, unredacted. 50 pages at a time. Now it's taking us over a year we're down to the last 50 pages, they won't let us look at those. So you pretty well know where the incriminating <laughs> evidence is. Right. And now if the right. House is in Republican hands, and I, I couldn't get you know John to issue subpoenas, we were getting enough cooperation, that's what the agencies do, they slow walk you, they comply mm-hmm. just enough, hopefully they can run out the clock so that you never really get to the bottom of it. But now you have a house with subpoena power, Uh, those should be the first 50 pages of documents I would subpoena, and maybe we'll get some more information there. But uh, again, I I think the House will be pretty aggressive here and hopefully we'll be able to uncover and expose the truth.
3: From your lips to God's ears. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, one of one yeah, of the yeah. one of the problems is, you know, and this happens not infrequently, but my area of expertise is crisis management. And when you have the the goalpost constantly moving, you're on to the next crisis. Now we're into the issue of vaccines. So you forget about all of the atrocities that happen with lack of early treatment and you forget about, oh, that whole gain of function thing and the whole origin thing, we'll get to that. But but it's, it's hard to because you're dealing with today's crisis, rightly so. I mean, this is how you have to deal with what's in front of you. But hopefully we will circle back at some point and get answers to those other things. Otherwise, uh, we are doomed. This This is going to happen again. So let's move on to the issue with the vaccines now. You, as much as anyone, are aware of the mounting evidence of ill effects and frankly, the breaches of standard protocols, standard regulatory procedures from the FDA, from the vaccine manufacturers. And again, obfuscation with regard to, you know, willingness to actually make the data available. VAERS is the CDC's own system. You've been demanding answers again for over a year now. It, it kind of bring us up to speed where you are in that investigation.
2: Sure, again, because I was talking to people that actually developed uh, vaccines, and then they were highly concerned about what Pfizer and Moderna were doing here with this, uh, you know, gene therapy. You know, Gert Van den Bosch, you know, warning against mass vaccination in the midst of a pandemic, you know, driving variants. Um, you know, I had my antenna up, so uh, I was aware of the Veer system, and so I started tracking it very early on. And I'd say about March, April of uh, 2021, uh, w- we're already seeing. Over 4,000 deaths on the Vayar system, and back then it was over 40 percent of those deaths were occurring on day zero, one, or two. And I, we we actually had a group of Republican senators meeting with Francis Collins. Everybody else was basically patting themselves on the back, and you know, what didn't we do a great job developing tests and distributing? And of course, I'm the skunk in the room, and so well, Dr. Collins, are, are you paying attention to what's happening on Vayars? And and you know, he he, he, he he immediately went right to the J and J's and said, well, Senator, you know, we've only uh, determined that the uh, six deaths were caused by the vaccine. Those are the J and J we, and we stopped it. And I said, well, what about the other more than 4,000? He just looked at me and said, well, Senator, people die. Oof. First of all, I could not what? even believe how, how, you know, what a brazen right. answer that was. But, but again, 40% of those deaths were occurring on day zero, one or two. And I realized VAERS doesn't prove causation. But I also realized VAERS, one of the problems is it, it dramatically understates the number of adverse events. Right. So I start, I start publishing my chart on a weekly basis. It's being censored by social media. But I mean, today, the, the most recent chart, we have over 34,000 deaths reported in the Veyer system, over 1.5 million adverse events. Today, about 25 and a half percent of those deaths are occurring on zero, day zero, one or two. Now Again, I know it's not proof, but that sure would concern me, it does concern me. And I have not, I can't believe how the, you know, the CDC, the FDA, the NIH have not exhibited the same concern over what their own safety surveillance system is showing. Then you have VSafe, you know, Mm -hmm. a system set up specifically to track this. Now, it wasn't set up to really track these serious complications. They're talking about, you know, days missed from work or, and right. visiting the hospital but those numbers are shocking you know 25 percent of people re, uh, report on that VSA system about 10 million people sampled that they experienced enough problem where they had to take off a day of work and i think eight mm-hmm. percent had to you know Would visit you to the hospital? A hospital you know to seek medical yeah. care yep. and they're and they're blowing it off and so i'm writing oversight letter after oversight letter i'm getting no response we, we did through a FOIA request found out that uh, one of my oversight letters, this was all to, having to do with the, the uh, granting of the approval for Comirnaty. Uh They got it, they were concerned about it, they wanted to respond to it. And this is Peter Marks in the email chain saying, well, we've, we've got a ready-made response. This was within two hours of them initiating this email chain over my letter. That's how unseriously they take uh, right. a very unique Oversight letter for me, all kinds of detail in it, and they've already got a ready-made response that so they blew out to me. And again, this is when, it's, it's just cavalier.
3: Remind me, Senator, when was that first conversation you had with um, Francis Collins where you were pointing out the four thousand deaths that had been reported to Varis? When was that? I believe that was April of two thousand twenty-one. So 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 think about that if back in April of 2021, you, you were already bringing this to their attention, yet they're out there saying safe and effective, safe and effective. If you go back to 1976 to the swine flu vaccine program, that vaccine was pulled from the market after there were 50 associated possible deaths, 50. Here you are pointing out four thousand and they're you know saying shrugging their shoulders and saying, you know, people die. Uh they, they, it's they, unconscious. They just, they, just,
2: they just pulled an eye drop after one death. Right. You know, so you know, yeah. Be, because I've been out there, okay. I'm I'm kind of the tip of the spear on this thing. I just get all this information. I, I get all these just heart-wrenching stories. I've I've mm-hmm. You know, I've hugged the vaccine injured. I've, I've, I've hugged the father of, of, a, you know, of, of a, his only child, his 16-year-old son. Um, you, you can't ignore this. I mean, you hear the stories. To me, it's obvious these tragedies have been caused by the vaccine. And, you know, I, I did, I did a, a, a kind of an event with uh, Jason Whitlock. And we, we had Bobby Kennedy there. We, we had a bunch of other people there. And, and what all of us have in common is our eyes have been opened. We've seen the truth on this, and we can't rest until other people's eyes are open. And you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Dr. Victory, Dr. Jew, you're probably the same way. It's like, what, what aren't people seeing? You know, how how is the truth being so suppressed?
0: Yeah.
3: Well, that is yeah. truly yeah, that is so, truly it's the, the terrifying.
0: I, I, thing. It. it, it yeah, and it's what Kelly and I struggle with constantly. I To to me, a really sort of, you know, there's a fine, you can put a really fine point on where the obscuranturism is or the obfuscation, which is just as simple a question as what took Damar Hamlin down? Why, why can't we know what that was? Is there what? What is so? I, I mean, I, people say, "Oh, he has insurance. He doesn't want his insurance is to know." You don't think his insurance know that he dropped dead on the field? They will demand an explanation for what happened, and they will get it. Why can't the rest of us know? It's not like he, you know, he had some embarrassing condition, or that the actual underlying causation is somehow worthy of of um you know the the hipaa protection i mean he's entitled to hipaa protection but you would think he'd want to share it with his peers so the nfl can accommodate any potential risk of other players and it's complete obscure complete zero
2: well you know so one thing i've learned and and uh, you know i got introduced to the vaccine injured through ken ruckers who is a green bay packer hall of famer his wife cheryl was vaccine injured so that's how he got connected well after the incident with the Buffalo Bill player, we immediately went to this group of sports individuals. Dave Stockton's one of them. We've got somebody from the hockey league, and we went to their players' association. We've got a couple, of, you know, crack cardiologists to you know offer a way of potentially diagnosing this. They're not interested. The players' unions aren't interested. They don't want to know. The players don't want to know. So. You know, they they don't want to give up a you know three four ten fifteen million dollar career, and so you know people are putting their heads in the sand from that standpoint. But but this isn't normal. I mean, we hear almost daily of a of a young famous person, whether it's a sports hero or somebody in entertainment, you know, just dying suddenly, and you, they never ask. They never ask the obvious question: Is did they just get a booster? Are they vaccinated? How how many doses have they gotten? They, they, they refused to When even did they have, the have When did they have COVID?
0: They... Let's take, take aim at well, COVID you know, what, as a potential cause. Let's yeah, at least it's, answer it's that like, question. Or COVID plus booster.
2: It's just coincidental. Yeah. There's an organization plus, called Good Sciencing, and they've been keeping track of all the collapses and deaths from athletes. And they're up to, I think, last time I looked, 1,648 collapses. Uh, 1,100 of those are, result in deaths. And that, that compares to studies at the International Olympic Committee is conducted where it's maybe 20 to 60 per year. Uh, We're up to, you know, 600 per year. Um, Again, this isn't normal, but it's completely being ignored. It's being suppressed. It's being censored as much as possible.
3: Yeah, the, the International Olympic Committee, that study over 38 years found an average of just under 29 deaths per year, or sudden cardiac deaths in elite athletes. And although I will argue, you know, I, I agree with you. I suppose if an NFL player doesn't want to know, that's his, his prerogative. I'll tell you whose prerogative it's not. If you're an airline pilot or if you're a bus driver, or if you're somebody, okay, there are a lot of people out there. The data on airline pilots, we had uh, Dr. Theresa Long uh, as a guest some, mm-hmm. some months ago, uh, and you're well aware you've had her, she testified in front of your committee on the unbelievable data out of the uh, Defense Military Epidemiology Database, DMED, that showed massive increases in everything from infertility to neurologic complications and certainly cardiac events, she reports that huge numbers of pilots in the military and one must assume uh, that the FAA is aware of this is anyone addressing this potentially disastrous situation with airline pilots?
2: Well, it doesn't surprise you. I've written oversight letters. I, I just st- spoke with uh, Bob Snow a couple of weeks ago, and I'd written a pretty detailed letter to, to uh, the FAA as well. I found out that uh, you know their chief medical officer never even contacted. Bob Snow, nor did anybody in American Airlines. And Bob Snow is an American Airline pilot who had a cardiac arrest, not a heart attack, a mm-hmm. cardiac I- arrest six minutes after landing his jet. Um, now, he, ha- he has no heart damage. He, has no, he, he didn't have, you know, uh, blocked arteries. He, his heart just stopped. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's concerned with myocarditis. You know, screws up the rhythm, uh, the, the electrical uh, conduct, Again, you're the doctors, okay? And, and with a burst of adrenaline or something like that, apparently that could stop a heart. But you know, again, I'm not a doctor. I don't fully understand these things, but as a layman, I can understand them, but we're not asking the questions. We're not exploring it. There's a complete lack of curiosity. The agencies, the heads of the agencies, the heads of the airline, they just don't want to know because they force these vaccines on everybody. And that's, that's part of the problem. Nobody wants to admit they're wrong. Members of Congress don't want to admit they're wrong pushing these things on their constituents. Doctors don't want to admit they may have been wrong. They really you know, strongly recommending a vaccine that might have killed somebody or resulted in a lifelong disability. Nobody wants to admit they're wrong. And so they're all burying their heads in the sand.
3: No, and Senator, you're right. This they, isn't just conjecture. Yeah, we crazy. know. Hang on for a second, Drew, because we know yeah. Yeah, we've had ahead. Ryan Cole on. The Ryan Cole is a good friend of the show as well, and we know that not only are we seeing these events clinically, but he is able to prove from a pathological standpoint, from a slide, from a micro uh, level, exactly why we're seeing them. We know darn well that this is a result of the vaccines. The proof is irrefutable. The cells do not lie, the slides do not lie. Um, And speaking of Peter Marks at the FDA, he came out and acknowledged openly that children have a five times higher risk of developing myocarditis if they get these, quote, vaccines than if not. Yet we are still allowing them to be pushed on, on children. This is a tremendous breach of standard protocols so to get to where drew t- typically you know takes these discussions which is why how do we all of a sudden leap to this absolute breach of standard protocol uh, in the sciences in the FDA our trusted our previously trusted institutions like the CDC um, we have forever undermined public confidence in these but how did we get there with lack of oversight?
2: Well, again, uh, we created a state of fear, declared an emergency, and then, uh, you know, there's a fair amount of people doing uh, research in terms of uh, the laws that have been put in place over the decades that allowed uh, bureaucrats to take advantage of that uh, state of emergency, probably run these vaccines through the Department of Defense so they could bypass all the required studies. The FDA sat by and just kind of looked the other way um, yeah, I'm, I'm a business guy, I'm not, not real fond of attorneys, maybe his doctor's you're maybe not too nuts about him either. But in this case, I, I'm really starting to see the value of attorneys and lawsuits and FOIA requests. I mean, yeah. Aaron Series done yeah. great work forcing Pfizer now to turn over you know, the results of its trials in what, 90,000 90, page tranches. You know, we're not gonna get the good stuff till the final tranche. That is if they don't destroy it. Again, I, I don't necessarily trust these people to be completely transparent, but again, what we're finding is it is shocking. It is jaw dropping. You know, the the biodistribution that they knew full well. I mean, there's so much that they did know that they should have known. And, you know, I, I remember talking to, to one of my experts, he says, you know, Ron, you know, I was educated with these folks. I, I know what they know. I know they're lying to us. I know they know they're lying to us. Um, but they, they're keeping it pretty well hidden.
3: No. And so you are wow. you are rightly putting out the next, you know, the addressing the next crisis. You know, right now we're on to vaccine injuries, but we have this mounting sea of, of of issues, you know, and I can't let go of the, you know, the refusal to allow us to do early treatments and the fact that they put the kibosh on those things. And we lived through, a, you know, two years of therapeutic nihilism. Then we went on to, you know, this, the stuff about the masks and the lockdowns, and now we're on to vaccines and we had gain of function issues and like all of this, there is so much to unpack. And if we're it not for you, who are single-handedly, if I look at your list of letters you have written, demands you have made, I am angry. I am angry for you. I'm angry for Congress. I'm angry that we have agencies that think they can simply thumb their noses at a sitting senator and not respond. Um, I, yes, we that's, really that's have...
0: shocking to me. That's it, disgusting. That's incredible.
3: Yeah,
2: well, well I mean, I mean it, 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 you know, every, and every letter that goes unanswered just increases my level of suspicion. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. so I just mm-hmm. keep, yeah. I'm reasonably tenacious. So I just keep digging. I'm, I'm not going to give up. And, and honestly, the, the only, probably the primary reason is a better way to put it, of me running again, because I, I mean, the dysfunction in Washington, D.C. is profound. I, I just wanted to walk away. But having been contacted by the vaccine injured, having been involved, realizing there is no other advocate here mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C. for the vaccine injured, I, I couldn't turn my back on him. And so that's, that's why I decided to run for re-election, and uh, you know I'm going to slog it out for another six years here. Uh, we've got I've got to get to the bottom of this. We have to get to the bottom of this. This is this is unacceptable.
0: So much well, of what I, has happened to me has a kind of a hysterical basis to it, a psychological basis to it, um, and I'm wondering if some of this vaccine, the ignoring of the vaccine, has also some. You've, you've, you've mentioned the things that are certainly certainly sources of motivation, but I'm wondering if psychologically, if people are just adjusting in their head and going, "Well, this was we were this was so." horrible, this was such a, a, a horrible uh, pandemic that I'm just willing to accept a lot of death and destruction from this vaccine if it gets us out of it. And I don't want to address that potential on one side. And then the other side I wonder is, does somebody know something about COVID and its lo- <laughs> adverse effects that they're not telling us? I always wonder, is there something, uh, they, they keep sort of tilting towards that and talking about myocardial um, effects and neurological effects, but it never really bears fruit. And so on one hand, I wonder if we're getting information hidden about COVID. The other, I'm wondering how we address the psychology of people being willing to accept the unacceptable in the face of a pandemic that was not as bad as their emotional memory tells them it was.
2: Again, I, I go back to the basic human tendency that you don't want to admit you were wrong. You know, so, so people don't want yeah. to admit that they were wrong to listen to the Anthony Fauci's of the world, uh, to be so freaked out yeah. by this thing. Uh, of Americans have got the vaccine. I mean, listen, I I, I tread very lightly. I I don't tell people all the things I know. I just don't, because I don't want to scare them. Uh, People don't want to, you know, even think about, maybe I made a bad decision here. Maybe I should have used exercise a little bit more caution. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't have, you know, got the jabs and, 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 you know, two or three booster doses. Uh, They don't want to believe that maybe they've got a ticking time bomb. You know, I I, I mm-hmm. hope that's not the case. I mean, I, I've got a couple of kids who got uh, vaccinated. They wouldn't listen to me, um, that they, they believe Fauci. I, I realize I'm not a doctor. So I, I'm hoping and praying that all my concerns uh, don't come to fruition. That uh, you know the, the vaccine injuries really are, it's kind of the luck of the draw and, and uh, it, it's very specific, uh, again, I'm not a doctor, but again, I've just talked to so many. I've got real serious concerns here.
3: Well, I I can't tell you how much I I appreciate. You can do, Drew and I can continue to highlight this, to bring voices to the lay people, to have these open forums and we do it regularly. It's been critically important. I think we've had uh, many folks who have been censored and silenced, uh, scientific people who have who have the data. They know where the bodies are buried Uh, and people like yourself who have been tireless in Washington. You can do the piece that uh, certainly that I can't in Washington. And so I appreciate you taking the slings and arrows uh, in Congress on on our behalf. Please don't stop. Please keep you know, tipping the windmills, try to turn over these rocks, get these, yeah. you know, expose yeah. this stuff. Because if you don't, I don't know who can.
2: Well, listen, all I'm looking for is the truth. Um, I, I'm right. like everybody else. I'm, I'm hoping my, my worst fears aren't realized, but we have to get to the bottom of this. We have to expose the truth. And we have to, I have to believe the truth has its own power.
0: And we have to find some way to get the media to report this honestly and thoroughly, with, without uh, going immediately dismissing anything that uh, runs counter to what they've been fed. I, I don't know how you get there, I mean, except except by letting them lose their audience and uh, offering on digital platforms like this alternative uh, sort of places for people to come for information.
2: They, they need to talk to the vaccine injured. Uh, and I've, I've advised the vaccine injured, get organized. Insist that you meet with your members of Congress. Go them, go to them. Tell tell them your stories. You know, one thing we haven't talked about is just the travesties that occurred within hospitals. And the the other yes. thing I hear, just countless stories that they're just they're heart wrenching. Uh, mm-hmm. Family members going and begging hospitals. Just try it. Try I mean try this. Try these drugs. You know, we're begging you, and they simply won't. I mean, I just there, there's a you know, Dr. Urso posted a tweet today of, of a daughter just screaming in the camera. Just, the anger is just palpable. Uh, we actually need more people to, to tell those types of stories, and, and maybe it'll awaken members of the media because we, need, we do need the media to be honest about this and have their eyes open as well.
3: One of the ironies, the great ironies, I will tell you about about uh, these drugs, uh, Senator, is that had hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and budesonide not been FDA approved, all of them would have been available to patients under the Right to Try Act, Donald Trump's Right to Try Act. Mm. It was the fact that they're FDA approved, the fact that they're so darn safe, the fact that we have decades of safety data behind them, that made them not available. Think of the irony of that.
2: Well, I, I normally don't do this, but you have to understand I'm the champion of that bill. That, that's my bill. You know, that, that, that was after and, meeting a, a woman with uh, ALS and having met with the Goldwater Institute, I, right. I, I decided to champion that and I, I shepherd that through Congress. So that, what, what, what i am yeah. got right now is right to treat, which it should not be necessary, mm-hmm. but uh, right. we need to, obviously an act of law so the doctors can utilize their full off-label prescription rights and, and on-label, I yes. mean, that's part oh, of the here. There are all kinds of drugs yeah. that were used yep. that could be used on-label to, to treat the inflammation, the, the clotting, mm-hmm. they that, that mm-hmm. weren't even allowed to treat it. Mean, you know, in, in my second opinion event, we had Dr. Paul Merrick, you know, just a, a, an emily qualified critical care specialist, tell his story about how the hospital took away his ability to use the the drugs he was using to save patients. His death rate was half that of the other people in the ICU and they took away the drugs, but they left him with his patients. Mm. And he testifies, so his hands were tied and all he could do is sit by and watch his patients die. Right. Again, I've heard countless stories from family members that the world needs to hear. They need to understand what happened and we need to fix it so it never happens again.
0: You know, Kelly, yeah. it's a, it, uh, Senator Johnson's idea is a very good one. And Susan, I'll I'll throw this to you, but we should talk to some of the people that Senator Johnson has heard from and, and put them on these programs. You know, get three or four of them in across an hour and let them tell their story, yeah. so people can can hear that. I think it's a good idea.
3: I agree. I agree. The vaccine injured need a Our, voice. Yeah. You know, part of the Senator Johnson,
0: we we. Ahead, let me just say senator johnson
2: the vaccine injured the ones that suffer the neurological unless they're paralyzed they look too healthy and so doc and a lot of the neurological industry uh, injuries are with women and so they go into their doctors because the C- cdc has not acknowledged vaccine j- injuries and the doctors just think it's all in their head mm-hmm. so, so it's even it's a yeah, very worse close friend of mine so isolated yeah it's i
0: horrible know for them i know uh, I, I we've been working with uh you know, long hauler researchers since the beginning of this thing and they have a whole cohort of these folks and a dear friend of mine got a vaccine injury he was sick for a year couldn't walk a block and he's willing to be interviewed so th- there's a lot of people willing to step up and tell the story but senator johnson we're going to wrap this up right here we so appreciate oh including me i was vaccine injured there's a picture of my uh raccoon eye that i didn't I woke, do it that i woke up with after the um after the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is a sign of a consumptive coagulopathy, which is what was killing people with the J&J vaccine. So here you go. And uh, and I knew I'd have a terrible reaction because I react to all vaccines.
2: Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Thank you both for what you're doing, Dr. Drew. Thank you for opening your mind. You know, I'm talking to Dr. Kelly. Yeah, I know I you've not necessarily been agreeing all the time, but uh, you're willing to listen and that's what we need. You know, science is about being skeptical.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I and I. One thing this virus has taught me is, you know, hubris and certainty is the en- enemy, and openness and thoughtfulness and critical reason is is the solution. And so I I'm I'm evolving my thinking, you know, as we're going along here. And I've learned something from everybody, including yourself. And we very much appreciate you being here and fighting the fight you're fighting. And whatever we can do to support you, I hope you let us know.
2: Well, thank you. Have a great day. Stay well. Thanks. Thank thanks you, again Sandra for Ron
0: being Johnson. with us. And, And then Kelly, uh, Jessica Rose and uh, Brooke coming in next couple of weeks.
3: Yes, we've got Jessica, Dr. Uh, Jessica Rose next Wednesday, the 15th, and then the following Wednesday, the 22nd, uh, Brooke Jackson, who's the whistleblower from, or a whistleblower from Pfizer uh, with some, both with some great stuff to report. So should be two terrific shows coming up.
0: Great. Kelly, thank you so much. And uh, we will see you. Uh, Caleb or Susan, anything from your guys' standpoint? You're all good.
1: Duncan I'm Trussell on oh, Valentine's Duncan Day. Duncan
0: Trussell on Valentine's Day and <laughs> Naomi Wolf tomorrow. So, and then somebody on Friday, so, the, right.
1: the woman from England. Yes.
0: I'm I speaking to a woman yeah. who runs one of these organizations that are, that got the, um, I'm blanking on her name right now, but she um, was the one that really got UK to stop giving vaccines to kids. They, they've, they've taken that mandate yeah. away well uh, g- give my regards to
3: naomi know. naomi, naomi wolf has uh yeah my regards to naomi she's got great information about the impact on uh on women and fertility on women. Uh, with these shots so yeah big yep. deal
0: and, and i was a little dismissive i was a little dismissive last time i talked to her <laughs> you didn't, and you, uh yeah I you didn't to, like her ideas I, I need well some of it was like mm, but now i need to fall on my sword full on so i will do so
1: and she's still taking heat we also have to have the uh The uh, Fuck It Bucket Show with Kelly at the end of the month. We need to figure out who that's. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Oh, I've got some good.
3: Yeah, I have lots of other good uh, guests in the in the queue here. Some really, some really good folks, uh, physicians and non physicians, who, again, know they know where the bodies are buried. So, uh, good people to have.
0: (laughs) Wildness. All right, Kelly. We'll see you uh, next Wednesday and. Everyone else, Uh, we will see you tomorrow at three o'clock Pacific time and 11, 11, let me double check this, Uh, it's either 11 or 12.
1: 11 on Friday.
0: 11 a.m. on Friday, Pacific time. They're all Pacific times, of course. So we'll see you tomorrow at three with Naomi Wolf. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only.